Well, good evening. It is very good to be here. I bring uh, greetings to you from Centralia. I bring greetings to you from Moscow. It's, I've only been in Centralia for about seven months now, so I'm adjusting to being back in uh, the Northwest. Um, I, I've been blessed by this church. Uh, we brought down about uh, 10 or so guys to the a traditional fatherhood conference that was here, I guess, just last month. So uh, it was a delight to get to meet uh, perhaps some of you already. And it is encouraging uh, coming from a, a red state back to a blue state where I grew up uh, to see uh, the church prospering and, and thriving as uh, yours is. Um, well, let me uh, go ahead and read our text and pray, and then we will get into it. Um, our sermon text this, e- this evening comes from uh, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4, uh, verses 1 to 20. These are the words of God. And he began again to teach by the seaside. And there was gathered unto him a great multitude, so that he entered into a ship and sat in the sea. And the whole multitude was by the sea on the land. And he taught them many things by parables, and said unto them in his doctrine, Hearken! Behold, there went out a sower to sow, and it came to pass, as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and the fowls of the air came and devoured it up. And some fell on stony ground, where it had not much earth, and immediately it sprang up, because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no fruit." And other fell on good ground, and did yield fruit that sprang up and increased, and brought forth some thirty, and some sixty, and some in hundred. And he said unto them, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, they that were about him with the twelve asked of him the parable. And he said unto them, Unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But unto them that are without, all these things are done in parables." that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest at any time they should be converted and their sins should be forgiven them. And he said unto them, Know ye not this parable? And how then will ye know all parables? The sower soweth the word, and these are they by the wayside where the word is sown. But when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts." And these are they likewise, which are sown on stony ground, who, when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness, and have no root in themselves, and so endure but for a time. Afterward, when affliction or persecution ariseth for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. And these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word, and the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches, and the lusts of other things entering in, Choke the word, and it becometh unfruitful. And these are they which are sown on good ground, such as hear the word and receive it and bring forth fruit, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some in hundred. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for revealing unto us the mystery of your kingdom. We ask now, as we consider this parable from the Lord Jesus, that we might be given ears to hear and eyes to behold your glory and thus become fruitful. We ask for all of this in Jesus' name and amen. 
How many sermons have you heard in the course of your life? How many sermons have you listened to? If you have been a Christian for, say, 10 years and went to church every week, that's you know, roughly 520 sermons you have heard thus far. That's quite a lot. Now, uh, you know, if you were baptized in a good Presbyterian church and grew up in the church and are now in your 30s or 40s or 50s and beyond, you have no doubt by now heard many thousands of sermons, perhaps even over a hundred thousand sermons if you attended Sunday school or evening services or listen to sermons on podcasts or something like that. That's a lot of preaching you can listen to over the years. Now, according to Jesus, all of those sermons were an opportunity for the sowing of the word. And the question Jesus sets before his audience is, uh, how did you do? How did you respond to that word? What kind of fruit, if any, has come from all of that hearing? Did it do anything? What is different in your life because you heard, you know, a hundred thousand sermons or however many it is? Our text this evening is a sermon on how to hear a sermon. And this is the first extended block of teaching that uh, we encounter in Mark's gospel. This parable Jesus tells, and then the explanation of it is the skeleton key to understanding all the other parables. So if you don't get this, you're not going to get anything else. Jesus says in verse 13, know ye not this parable? How then will you know all parables? So the stakes are high for Jesus' audience and for us who would like to understand. So uh, let's walk carefully through this text and see uh, what the Lord will show us. Our text divides neatly into two. Uh, In verses 1 to 9, Jesus preaches his sermon to the multitude by the sea. He gives them, it says, various parables. And then in verses 10 to 20, Jesus privately explains one parable in particular to his disciples. And uh, just to rehearse the context for us of uh, what's going on here, for the previous three chapters in Mark, uh, Mark has been developing and playing with this idea that there are insiders and there are outsiders. And he's done this using the imagery and scene of who is inside or outside a house. And in this case, uh, it's Peter's house in Capernaum, where Jesus has uh, seemed to take up residence. So that's kind of their home base in Capernaum. So we're quite a bit north of Jerusalem. They're out there on the coast of Galilee. And there are generally uh, five groups of people that we have met so far. So I'll I'll just tell you what these five groups are. Number one, there's the 12 disciples, of course. Uh, We presume they are insiders. They're in the house. We expect them to be in the know. Second, there are multitudes of sick and demon-possessed people trying to get to Jesus who want healing or deliverance of some sort. Third, there are Jesus' family and friends who are, uh, in in the scene we have just seen in uh, chapters 2 and 3, they are outside the house and they think that he has lost his mind. Then there are uh, Jesus' favorite opponents, the scribes and Pharisees. They claim he's possessed by a devil. They're blaspheming the Holy Spirit. 
And then finally, this fifth group, I guess they aren't strictly speaking people, but these are the demons. If you read Mark's gospel, there's a lot of spiritual warfare going on. There's devils on every page, and they keep saying that Jesus is the Son of God. They appear to be in the know, but it's kind of surprising that it's the devils who are uh, saying this. So Jesus is, is silencing them. So this theme of insiders and outsiders of who is in the know and who is not continues to develop as Jesus gives now this parable. And this parable is really an explanation for why there are such diverse and strong opinions about him. How is it that a group of, say, 100 people can all hear the same message, the same words from the same person, but come away from it with radically different conclusions? This is what every pastor wonders, right? I said the same thing. How is it that people hear but don't really hear? Or if you've ever been in, in an argument with someone, you know, they put the most uncharitable spin on your words, right? So they hear, but they only kind of hear what they, they want to hear. So this parable is going to put uh, everyone who hears the word into one of four categories. This is a parable that gives us distinctions. It tells us who is inside and who is outside of the kingdom. So uh, starting in verse one, let's walk through our text together. It says, and he began again to teach by the seaside and there was gathered unto him a great multitude so that he entered into a ship and sat in the sea and the whole multitude was by the sea on the land. Now, uh, if someone is by the sea on the land, Uh, Where are they? They're at the beach, right? (laughs) They're at the seashore. Amen. And the seashore, as, as you, I'm sure, know, is a significant place in the Bible. What does God say to Abraham when he promises him the covenant? That his offspring would be as numerous as the stars in the heaven and as the sand upon the seashore. That's Genesis twenty-two seventeen. When God first preaches the gospel to Abraham, it is a promise that his seed will be as numerous as sand on the seashore. So uh, Mark is a genius. He knows what he is doing. And what is the scene? Well, we have a multitude on the seashore. And who is teaching there? It's the seed, the seed of Abraham, the Son of promise, the Lord Jesus. So this is Abraham's seed who is uh, gathered on the beach to hear uh, the seed of Abraham uh, preach to them. Continuing in verses 2 to 3, it says, And he taught them many things by parables and said unto them in his doctrine, Hearken, behold, there went out a sower to sow. So here now begins the parable. And notice, what is the parable about? It's about seed. The sowing of seed. In the Old Testament, seed can signify both people and God's word. And in this parable, seed is going to represent both of those things. And uh, before we we work through this parable together, um, imagine for a moment that you are in the position of the crowd. Imagine that you are not going to get that private explanation later with the disciples. So this is all you get to work with, this little parable, and ask yourself, uh, would I be an insider or an outsider? Would I actually understand what Jesus is teaching here? Do I have ears to hear? 
So let's hear now the parable and see how we do. Uh, So verses 4 to 9, And it came to pass, as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and the fowls of the air came and devoured it up. And some fell on stony ground, where it had not much earth, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no fruit. And other fell on good ground, and did yield fruit that sprang up and increased, and brought forth some thirty, and some sixty, and some an hundred. And he said unto them, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. So imagine that's all you get, and then you go home. And you're arguing with your kids over what that meant to you. Did you understand the mystery of the kingdom in that parable? How many of us would hear that sermon and have little idea what to make of it without some further reflection, further explanation? What's uh, what's more is that uh, you can read the many commentators on this passage and uh, they don't all agree about what is going on here, and they have Jesus' explanation. There is, of course, general agreement that this is a parable about different kinds of people who respond differently to the word, okay? That that much is true. But how does this parable reveal to us the mystery of the kingdom? What is it about the kingdom of God that we are taught by seed and soil and birds and thorns? Well, that is what the disciples want to know. Verses 10 and 11. And when he was alone, they that were about him with the twelve asked of him the parable. And he said unto them, Unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But unto them that are without, all these things are done in parables. So here Jesus makes a distinction between those who are in and those who are without. Uh, As much as Christians, uh, many of them do not like the kind of us versus them dialectic, Uh, properly understood, that is the way God created the world. As Jesus says in Matthew 12, 30, whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. So the first division Jesus makes is between the multitude who is outside, who only get parables, and then the disciples who are inside, unto whom the mystery of the kingdom is given to know. Parables for outsiders, kingdom knowledge for insiders. Now, uh, this to to most Americans is going to sound very elitist, right? There's this privileged uh, 12 disciples around Jesus and then the masses outside. Why not give this private interpretation to everyone? Why speak in parables at all? Well, in a very real sense, uh, this is what the gospel accounts are. They are the things spoken in secret, which Jesus says will one day be shouted from the rooftops. Here we are now with both the parable and the explanation of it. However, at this stage in Jesus' ministry, that knowledge is being concealed, and it's being concealed for a reason. And this is one of the real riddles of Jesus' ministry. Why does he come speaking in parables? Well, there are various answers to this question, but Jesus gives a specific answer in verse 12. So all these things are done in parables so that, so here's the reason, that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest at any time they should be converted 
and their sins should be forgiven them. This is a hard saying. It's a hard saying for many Christians to accept because uh, it kind of sounds like he's speaking in parables so that people will not be converted, so that their sins will not be forgiven. And I thought Jesus came to forgive everyone's sins. What, what is going on here? Well, if we know our Bibles well, we know that Jesus is giving us here a quotation from the book of Isaiah, specifically Isaiah 6. There are also allusions here to Jeremiah 5. But in Isaiah 6, this is the great uh, holy, holy, holy passage where God commissions Isaiah to be a prophet. And if you read on for the rest of Isaiah, you have many chapters in front of you, uh, 60 Uh, For 50 plus years, that's how long Jeremiah ministered, for some 50 plus years, Isaiah is going to preach repentance and forgiveness and the word of the Lord to Israel. For 50 plus years, Isaiah is going to be sowing seed. Now, if you know the history of Israel at this time, this is about 700 years before Christ, uh, do they listen to Isaiah? Mostly not. Mostly not. 18 years into his ministry and the northern kingdom of Israel will fall to Assyria. They're taken off into exile. A few generations later, while Jeremiah is preaching the same message, and the southern kingdom falls to Babylon. Judah is taken into exile. So the purpose of Isaiah's ministry and really all the prophets of this time is to warn a stubborn and rebellious people of God's promise. A promise, you remember, that rewarded obedience and punished disobedience. Deuteronomy 28, Leviticus 26, you know the law of the covenant. And so the prophet's job was to preach this covenant of grace. This covenant that meant anyone who repents, anyone who returns to the Lord, will be forgiven and saved. That is a genuine promise held out to them. And in the time of Isaiah and Jeremiah, that meant meant being preserved as a remnant despite Assyria and then Babylon conquering them. So why does Jesus quote this text? Well, Jesus quotes Isaiah 6 to identify himself and the nation as being in the same situation as before. Jesus is the prophet, judgment is coming, but forgiveness is offered to all who will repent. So listen to uh, Isaiah 6, 9 to 13, from which Jesus quotes, and see what is going on here. Uh, And God says to Isaiah, Go and tell this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and uh, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and return and be healed. Then I said, Lord, how long? And he answered, Until the cities are laid waste and without inhabitant. The houses are without a man. The land is utterly desolate. The Lord has removed men far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. But yet a tenth will be in it, and will return and be for consuming, as a terebinth tree or as an oak, whose stump remains when it is cut down. So the holy seed shall be its stump. So notice again the mention of seed. Remember that Isaiah is being sent to a people that is already blind 
and deaf and under judgment. Keep on doing what you're already doing. Like Pharaoh, God's people have hardened their heart so that although the word comes to them, it does not take root. Nobody listens. The truth in this case, what the prophets function as, is just removing any uh, excuses that the people have and thus increases their guilt. And this is exactly what Jesus has just experienced for uh, the first three chapters in Mark's gospel. He's been preaching the gospel of the kingdom. He's been doing a miraculous works of healing and exorcism. And yet the scribes accuse him of breaking the Sabbath and blasphemy, both of which are capital crimes. The Pharisees and the Herodians are plotting to murder him. So think about this. What do you do when the authorities have your phone tapped? When they are going through your emails and reading your text messages, trying to dig up dirt on you. Well, you start speaking in code. Or in Jesus' case, you preach in parables. Why? So that seeing, they may see but not perceive. And hearing, they may hear but not understand, lest at any time they should be converted and their sins should be forgiven them. Jesus preaches in parables to further harden an unworthy and hard-hearted people. He has a mixed crowd in front of him with mixed motives, and therefore parables are how he can give the truth to some while concealing it from others. And here, Jesus is just continuing to do what God has always done. As it says in Proverbs 25:2, it is the glory of God to conceal a thing but the honor of kings is to search it out. Or, as Proverbs 23, 9 says, Speak not in the ears of a fool, for he will despise the wisdom of thy words. Parables are how God separates the proud from the humble. Parables are how God separates the meek from the fool who thinks he knows it all. Now, it is most certainly true that God desires all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. It says that in 1 Timothy 2.4. But what Scripture also teaches us is that God has a greater desire for something else. Namely, that He might make known the riches of His glory on the vessels of mercy. Romans 9.23. And that I might show my power in thee, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth, Romans 9, 17. So more than universal salvation, more than converting every fool and hard-hearted sinner, which he could do without trouble, God desires the revelation of his power and justice and grace and glory on those who are vessels of mercy. And that is ultimately why Jesus preaches in parables so that the reprobate are further hardened and receive good justice, while his elect are mercifully gathered into the kingdom. So parables are a vehicle. They are a vehicle for God's grace and glory to be put on display. We might not like that motive, but that is the motive Jesus gives. Now, let us turn to see how Jesus interprets his own parable. Uh, Verses 13 to 14. And he said unto them, Know ye not this parable? And how then will ye know all parables? The sower soweth the word. So first, the seed is identified as the word. 
And this word is sown, it is proclaimed indiscriminately. We see it falls everywhere. Jesus teaches the multitudes. But notice that in the rest of this interpretation, it is people who are sown. So uh, verses 15 and 16. And these are they by the wayside where the word is sown. But when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. And then verse 16, and these are they likewise which are sown on stony ground. So Jesus identifies, identifies the seed as both word and the people sown. So we're kind of putting together the, the allegory, if we can speak that way. And we are then told that the soil represents people's hearts. So now we have seed and soil that represent different kinds of people. This is perhaps why there's so many different titles for this parable. Parable of the sower, parable of the seed, parable of the soils. You get all sorts of titles for it, and that is uh, by design. Then there are four different kinds of seed or four different kinds of soil who receive the word into themselves. And I'll just uh, summarize these four groups for us from verses 15 to 20. First, there is the wayside seed or the wayside soil. These are those who Satan devours immediately like a bird of the air. They hear the word, but pay little attention to it. They uh, forget the sermon as soon as they walk out the door. Secondly, there is the stony seed or the stony soil. These are those who have no root in themselves. They are uh, what we might call uh, surface or nominal Christians. They are uh, the barnacles of the church. They get excited When they first hear the word, they might even get baptized. They might even join your church. But as soon as things get a little difficult, they fall away, right? COVID happens, they stop attending. Someone they love dies. A divorce happens in the family. Someone sins against them. And they are outraged that God would ever allow such a thing. They are offended and Jesus says they lose their faith. Maybe you've met some of these shallow Christians before. Third, there is the thorny seed or the thorny soil. These are those people who think they love Jesus, but actually love the world more. They like all of this talk about the kingdom. They want to be the head and not the tail. You know, they're post-mill. They want to talk about dominion and have a lot of kids. But it turns out that they just want the accoutrements of the kingdom without the king himself. These people want God to serve their dreams and ambitions instead of surrendering their dreams and ambitions to him. For the thorny seed, for the thorny soil, there is no real genuine love for the Lord Jesus in their hearts, just a desire for his stuff. Then finally, fourth, there is the fruitful seed, the fruitful soil. These are those who hear the word, receive the word, and obey the word. And in so doing, they become one with Jesus Christ. His seed is implanted inside of them. And because Christ has life in himself, because Christ is the fruitful vine, all who abide in him become exceedingly fruitful. 30, 60, a hundredfold harvest, even into old age. This is, of course, what all of us should want to be. Good, fertile, fruitful, Soil that receives the implanted word with meekness and bears forth the fruit of the Spirit. 
So did you get the mystery of the kingdom? The mystery of the kingdom is that it is a word. It is a word that is planted inside of people. And if it is received by them, it changes them. There is just one message. There is just one gospel, but four different kinds of people who respond to it. Uh, In Jesus' day, this parable was first and foremost an assessment of the uh, multitudes, an assessment of the nations. Uh, God had promised by the prophets to replant Israel like seed in the promised land. He says a remnant would return from exile and flourish again. And, you know, this is what Ezekiel sees in his vision in chapters 40 to 48. And this is what happens in the time between the Testaments. The Jews scatter. They set up synagogues throughout the empire. They rebuild the temple. They uh, win back some of their independence. And yet by the time that Christ is born, uh, all is not well in Jerusalem. There are thorns. There are birds, there are devils everywhere, right? Why why are the devils in all of the churches? And there are many stony hearts amongst them. And so the coming of Jesus is the coming of God to inspect his vineyard. As Jesus says in John 9, 39, For judgment I am come into this world, that they which see not might see, and that they which see may be made blind. Jesus is coming to judge how Abraham's seed is doing. And this parable is the first diagnostic Jesus gives them. And he wants that crowd, he wants that multitude to reflect and consider on what kind of seed they are being. What kind of seed have they been? What kind of heart is inside of them? And this is, of course, what God wants all of us to continue to ask ourselves throughout our Christian life. How many sermons have you heard, and how have you been hearing that sermon? Is there any difference in you? Is there fruit in your life? Do you really love the king who died and rose to save his people? I'll close with this. It says in Hebrews 4.2, For unto us was the gospel preached, as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. God's promise of fruitfulness is offered to everyone who will hear with faith. And so believe what God says when his word is preached. When you go home, take care of that word that was preached. Nourish it. Give it the fertilizer. Think about it. Get it lots of sunshine. Trust the Lord and do what he says, and in due time, an abundant harvest will indeed come. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Let me pray for us. Father, you can see all of our hearts. You know how we have been, at times, very lethargic listeners, very slow to believe all that the prophets spoke. And God, we ask that you would do that miraculous work of changing us so that we indeed become fruitful. God, make us to love you who are the supreme good far more than all of these other goods that you have given us to enjoy. Make us to love our souls for eternity that we might use this temporal world in such a way that we are good stewards of it. God, we ask for this word, this gospel to penetrate our region 
in the high halls of power down to the streets. God, cause your word to grow in this place. Bring reformation and revival again. We pray this in Jesus' name and amen.